Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hi, everybody. What an exciting show I have in store for you today. Because sometimes my guests are repeat guests, and that's the, that is the case with my guest today, which is, who is, I should say, Russell Buschetto. Welcome to the show, Russ. Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. And this is show number three. I think that with the exception of one other gentleman, I think that you are the only one that's done three shows with me. And the first two shows included your son, Simon. But today, it's just you and me. And we're going to be yes, talking well, about... What's that? No, I was just oh. saying my, my hope is to become the all-time all-star on, on, yes. on shows. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny that you should say that because... You are an all-star in my life, and um, this is a meaningful show to me because I do feel like we are family, and I want people to understand something about you and what makes you tick and what is your story, Russ, because you have a great story, and we're going to be talking about what it means to be a dad, and we're also going to be talking about Share Hope USA, which you founded with your son. Simon. But before we do that, I always like to have my guests have the opportunity to share a little bit about themselves, because if it wasn't for our mutual friend, Jabari K. Smith, who has been on my show twice, I might say, um, I would not have met you. So a shout out to our buddy Jabari. Why yes, don't you, absolutely. Um, really. So why don't you tell um, our guests just a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and and things about yourself. Well, uh, I grew up in a very rural area of Southern California, uh, up above the, it would be in the Idlewild area, above Palm Springs, San Diego. Uh, So it was a very rural area, small town, dirt roads, uh, you know, lots of space. Your neighbor wasn't right up on top of you like in most cities. Uh, it was a great place to grow up, uh, if you ask me. And uh, I think it probably did a lot to mold me as to who I am today. Uh, what did I, I mean, as a, as a young person, I remember being, uh, you know, my mom saying, go outside and play, and uh, which has a total different meaning to go outside and play than what my kids <laughs> have because we live in a city. When I was a kid and they said, my mom said, go out and play, I was gone for hours. I mean, I was, we were trekking all over the, you know, backwoods area, over rocks, through into uh, canyons. I mean, it was um, rural, country rural area. And so it was great. I loved it. I bet. Sisters, you have, you have, you have you're not an only child, right? No, no. I have a younger sister and an older sister. Mm-hmm. So I'm a 
did the you child. all sort of you're the middle kid and the boy. So did you and the boy. did you and the boy. So when you were living sort of rurally, I mean you you still went to school, but did you have to go some distance in order to do that? No, our school was in the was in the same town and uh we uh-huh. would you know, we would uh get dropped off and then if and pick up and if the bus was to drop us off at at the street we'd have to walk about two and a half miles on a dirt road to get to our house off of the main road. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That's so entirely different than how I grew up for certain. And, and, you know, because we are an Internet show, there certainly could be people listening that said, well, gosh, that's exactly how I grew up too. I grew up counting stars instead of, you know, going to the mall. Um, but and so currently, so just so that our, our our listeners know, tell us just a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I am uh, married to an amazing woman. Uh, she is uh, my uh, everything. Uh, she's my confidant, and she helps me. Uh, together, we raise. Uh, we're raising two amazing. Ch- children. Uh, my daughter, Hillary, 17. My son, Simon, is 11. Yeah. She is pretty much a rock. I, she's, she's a quiet one. When you and I get together, we don't seem to give her much chance to speak. But um, she, she is really inspiring, beautiful woman, and I can see why she is your everything. So what was your family structure growing up? What was it like in, in your family? Yeah, so my, I, my mom raised uh, me and my two sisters uh, generally by herself. Uh, we uh, had uh, my grandparents lived rather close, and so we spent a lot of time with them. Uh, I wouldn't say I had a very strong father uh, influence in my life, but I did have uh, my grandfather who uh, gave me, I think, those really, really important uh, seeds that you need as a child. I mean, he's the one that played catch with me. He's the one that taught me how to, uh, to do certain things that a father teaches his son how to do. So I did get those items. I just got them from my grandfather opposed to getting them from a father figure. Interesting. Would you would yeah. you say he was he your greatest male influence then growing up? Yeah, well, he's probably actually my only uh, male influence growing up because I had wow. two sisters and my mother and my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, right. And so uh, you know he he would. Uh, it's funny because when when I was a kid, uh, we would go over there every every Wednesday. He would pick us up from school, and. Uh, uh, we would spend the evening uh, with him and, and my grandmother. And so he'd pick us up from school, and, and uh, we would directly go from the school to the uh, little convenience store where he'd buy each of us a, a, a candy. And mm-hmm. we would uh, – that, that was, like, you know, the best, the best highlight of the whole week for us. And uh, until candy got too expensive for my grandfather, who was a – uh, you know, he's a he's from the Great Depression era, and so once candy got too expensive, I remember the day where we were supposed to turn into the convenience store, and we just kept going, and, and we never <laughs> stopped again for candy. 
but it didn't matter to us because we were spending most of our time. We spent our time with them, and it was great. We would, you know, spend time he, you know, pruning his trees and picking the fruit from his trees. And you know, uh, we were come from a very Italian family, so it was you know we, he'd make his famous applesauce and would help him with that. Or uh, I mean, fried apples and spaghetti from my grandmother. It was great. It was a great time. And you're, if I remember right, because we do know each other well, is wasn't your grandma also a very good artist? Yeah. So um, I I think I get uh, most of my um, artisticness uh, and creativeness from her. Uh, she was an amazing artist, um, an amazing uh, writer. She's written thousands and thousands of poems. She was. Uh, she she taught online classes at the age of mm. you know in her seventies to online classes to, on how to write poetry. She was an amazing woman. Uh, you know she had a ceramic studio on her property, and so she had you know three kilns. And so from a young age, she would teach us how to uh, pour uh, ceramics, how to clean the ceramics, paint the ceramics, uh, how to glaze them, how to refire them. She's the one that taught me how to do watercolors. Uh, so, you know, she, she, uh, she was an uh, absolute amazing woman. That's really, that's, that's really, that's interesting. And you, you are as well because you do have an incredibly creative side as well. And um, because we're going to be focusing on parenthood in this first part of the show, um, why do you think it's so important to be a good parent? Well, uh, you know, it, it's our job as parents, uh, and I feel it's a very important job for me personally to try to, uh, you know, both me, my wife and I both have this, this uh, concept that we, we, try and, we are trying to raise two really uh, confident, uh, well-balanced humans. Uh, so it's really important for us to, um, you know, it, it's our job. It's it's what we it's the job that we were given, and so um, it's really important for us to complete that job and do a really really well job. Yeah, and it's interesting um, because of the real importance that you put on being a dad when you really didn't. You had your grandpa, so you didn't have a lot of role models. Did you, did you, had you do a lot of reading about parenting or do, where, where did you, where did you get your inspiration to know what it meant to be a good parent? Um, I got it. I, I, I probably, I would say, um, I, yes, I do do reading. Absolutely. Um, um, I didn't always love to read growing up. It was really difficult mm-hmm. for me to read, but I've learned as, um, as I became an adult, it's, it's become um, a really important part of to just read and gain the knowledge. But I have to say that probably the, the biggest inspiration from, from a parenting that I get from is I try to be the father that I wish I had. Wow, that's inspiring. Yeah, because you, you in some ways you know what you miss, right? And so it's sure. like... Is that is that kind of what you're saying? 
Yeah, well, you know, you as a as a child, you you um, you want someone there all the time, uh, and so that uh, I didn't have growing up per se. So mm-hmm. I tried to always be there for my for my kids, um, mm-hmm. what they want, what they need, um, instructing them, inspiring them, trying to um, find what their passion is, feed the passion, drive the passion. Uh, trying to get them to think in different ways, um, trying to think out of their box. Uh, you know, uh, as a, for example, as adults, we, we tend to think only about our world. I, I've labeled it as, you know, everyone has their own world. And so a lot mm-hmm. of times as adults, our world is really three inches in front of our face, and that's our world, and we don't venture out of that, and it's um, it's – sad because there's a lot of things in this world you you miss you'll miss three inches in front of your in front of your face so i and and children even more so their you know their world is somewhat sheltered and so i try to help them step out of their world and look at the world as a whole and so the way you do that is to try to have them look and think um and dissect and uh uh, really just tear apart ideas and what, what, what's happening, even as simple as what's happening in, in, in their day, what happened today. Mm-hmm. I mean, to just dissect that and dig deeper, I think um, it helps them. I hope that it helps them to become really balanced uh, adults because mm-hmm. of them having the ability to be able to do that as a child, as a children. I, you, you, have, you have several phrases that I take to heart. And I really love this one when you say you have to be willing to dig into your children's brains. That is a yeah. that's purposeful. That that isn't like, oh by the way, that that is a concrete um objective. So let's talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, so you know um it I think children Children in general are not going to just open up and tell you everything, uh, and and part of it it's not because they're it's they're tr- it's tr- they're trying to deceive you in any way, but I just think that they might not have the the communication skills to be able to express to you, uh, you know, different things that happen to them during their day or different things that's happening in their brain and what they're thinking about and why are they thinking about that and. Uh, you know, I think that as parents, at least I feel my job is to uh, dig into their brains and find out more about um, what they're thinking and why they're thinking and how they're thinking about certain things um, and hopefully then being able to open up a discussion as to why do you think this way and is there a different way to think about it um, and at all the same time, respecting the why they think the way they think and giving them the respect mm-hmm. to be able to have their own thoughts. Um, you know, I'm in no way trying to uh, tell them they have to think a certain way, but I think it's important for them to be able to, from, from the balance standpoint, for them to be able to understand that there's different ways to think about everything. And so um, as we have to be able to accept the way everyone thinks about everything um, and still have our own opinions about something, but understand mm-hmm. that other people might have different opinions. And so 
you know, I try to, I, and I never take one answer as, <laughs> I never take <laughs> one answer as, as the final answer. If they answer something, mm-hmm. uh, and I certainly never take one word answers, one word answers never work for me because that's mm-hmm. not, um, it's not enough for me. So every answer they give me is going to have me asking another question to try to dig a little bit deeper, dig a little deeper until I can try to figure out um, the root cause or what's going on. And, and this goes down to even certain things like, you know, what happened to your day today? Um, I, you know, if they ask, if I ask them, how'd your day today at school, they can never say fine because fine right. doesn't give me any information. I need to know what happened. So they understand at this point, you know, they're old enough now that when I ask them how was their day, they start from the very beginning and they go through every single time of their day um, until I pick them up. And so then I know now what's going on in their day. And then I can uh, ask them follow-up questions. Well, you know, what happened here and what happened there? And, you know, then I know about assignments that are due and when they're due and tests that are coming up. And, you know, those are, that's how I, under, I, I get to know those type of things because they might not necessarily tell me otherwise. Right. You know, I, I, because I, I've spent a lot of time with, with you and your family, I mean, just yesterday we spent a good portion of the day together. I I know a lot about this with you, and I think that one of the reasons that I thought this topic was so valuable is because I know you have some very specific techniques that you use, and you mentioned one of them. But um, yeah. let's talk a little bit about, what happens after school? So is, is this is an example when you say, tell me about your day, right? Right. So I'll, I'll say, okay, so <laughs> tell me about your day. And they will say, uh, my, you know, as an example, my daughter will say, okay, well, I, I, I first got there and I went into my homeroom and this is what I had for breakfast. And this is who I sat next to. Or sometimes if she doesn't tell, you know, this is what I had for lunch. And I'll ask, well, who did you sit with? Oh, I sat with this person and that person. And if I, you know, if I don't know who, if I don't recognize the name, I'll be like, oh, well, who's that? Oh, this is this person. And, and, and that, it's just how I, I kind of mm-hmm. dissect their day as to what's going on. You know, an, another, another question I ask them, for example, is tell me, uh, I, I say, tell them, tell me three absolutely amazing things that happened today. I and love that one. They'll, they'll go through their day and they'll tell me, they'll think about their day mm-hmm. and they'll tell me, well, this is ha- this happened or, you know, I got an A on this, on this uh, uh, paper or, you know, this happened and that was absolutely amazing to me. And, you know, it's sometimes if it's, um, you know, sometimes like Simon sometimes will say, I had recess. And I'll say, great, replace that with something even more amazing. Uh, and then sometimes, and then, and then usually that's, I usually I follow that up with the question, tell me three things that were really challenging today. And so then they'll have to go through their day and tell me something that was hard, hard for them to come up with. Maybe someone made them feel bad. Maybe uh, uh, they were embarrassed about something. Maybe uh, they didn't get the grade they wanted that they felt they deserved. And then, we can then go through those challenges and we can then figure out how we can make those challenges into victories tomorrow. And uh, hopefully we can work through that. So that's one you know, of the, the beauty, for sure. The, you know, the beauty of that is that because you pick them up and you have this driving time, 
it's amazing how many this is not a time where um kids are on their cell phones um texting tagging reading blah 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 you are actively engaged in with your children and active speaking and active listening because not only is Simon telling you about his amazing day or challenges but then Simon's listening to Hillary's amazing days and challenges right. as well so now the three of you are very much connected and I think that that's that's tremendous do you have sort of a routine that you do before school starts uh you know, be, 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 not before school starts every day, but like we have, um, we have, uh, I have them go through an exercise and I've had, it starts at middle school and this is before, like before the school year starts. And mm-hmm. um, we'll have, uh, like, for example, my daughter, since she's now a senior in high school, when she started middle school, um, I, I, I had her start sending emails before the school year starts to air, to all her teachers um, and in the email ex- expressed to, to the teacher not only her excitement but maybe some of the reservations she had so maybe what she was nervous about what she, you know what was she excited about and just introduce herself to the teachers and so she's done that every she started when she was in middle school she's done that every single year um, I think probably senior year was probably the only year that she didn't do it and that was because she knows all the teachers and you know it's her last mm-hmm. year of school but um mm-hmm. simon he's 11 years old he started that this was his first year doing that and i and what i found is it what's really i i think a two-fold learning experience for for them is not only are they able to uh put down on paper and write what they're actually excited about and what they're actually nervous about um, and it helps them to be able to express themselves um, then they're in, Secondly, they're expressing that to somebody that they don't know, so they're opening themselves up to the teachers. And what we find is that in response, the teachers open themselves up to the, to, to the students. Um, mm-hmm. The third thing I think that's valuable is that um, it, it helps them teach, the, it helps and teach my children some really important skills like how to write an email, how to use an email, uh, how, you know, how to reply to an email. Um, and especially starting in middle school, that's a really important uh, mm-hmm. task that they need to know how to do because they use that a lot starting at middle school specifically. And then I think the, one of the last things that it helps uh, in a huge way is that the very first day, uh, and it happens every single year, uh, for, it happens with Simon, he, he, his very first day, he's nervous, first day of middle school, it's a huge milestone for him. Uh, and he doesn't know anybody, doesn't know any of the teachers. He walks into his very first class, and uh, the teacher says, uh, sits down. Teacher starts doing roll call. Uh, once the teacher gets to Simon, she goes, oh, Simon, thank you so much for that email. I really appreciated it. It immediately mm-hmm. defuncts any kind of nervousness he has now because now he's already known. The teacher already knows him. The teacher's now pointed him out as doing something really, really great, makes him feel good. Um, and it, Jill, I think it sets the day, it sets that day for him, sets the year mm-hmm. for him. Um, and I think in a really, really great way. So, you know, we'll continue to do that because it, I think it has, it, what, it, what it gives back to him and to my daughter is, uh, uh, you know, tenfold comes back to them. She'll, I'm sure she'll do that 
when it comes to college. You know, you got to introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting because I've I've watched Simon and Hillary, but Simon was much younger, and I've watched him build his confidence. And we'll be talking about share hope in the second half of the show. Um, I, I I'm witnessing him grow before my very eyes, and I can yeah. remember that there was some summer work where you used to pull up words for them, right? And they had mm-hmm. to take these three words and then they had to make a story out of it, right? That was just right. one of their summer assignments that you gave them, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I think that I, I've always given them summer work. And I think, uh, again, this is probably the only last, this last summer was the only summer that uh, my daughter didn't get summer work from me. And that was because she was taking uh, three college classes uh, right. during the summer, so she was really, yeah. really busy, and I just didn't feel fair to uh, ha- to have her do something <laughs> from me. But in every year past, since they were very, very young, every summer they get summer work from me, and um, I, I try to make it as creative as I possible possibly can. I, I think that it's important for kids, to, especially during the summer, to not lose their brain power. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. I think children can, in the summertime, it becomes, you know, TV and video games. And that's great and fun. And you got to have that time. It's important. But don't lose brain cells because that you built up during the year because you don't do anything in the summer. So I try to give them stuff to keep their minds moving. So that way, their minds are always thinking forward, thinking about what they have mm-hmm. to do, different ways to think of things. It's always that's the base of everything that I try to do for them. So for summer work, um, yeah, for that specific example you gave, that was last summer. And uh, we, uh, uh, I would give each of them three words. Uh, Hillary being older would get three more difficult words. Simon would get three words that were, that he would understand. And then, and sometimes there were words they didn't understand and then they needed to take the time to look up the word so that they can understand mm-hmm. what the word meant. And then they needed awesome. to write a, a, a one-page paper uh, story, something very creative, using those words. And so uh, it'd be absolutely amazing sometimes some of the, the work you mm-hmm. get back because you learn so much from your kids when you read their writing about how they think about certain things and 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 their, what their opinion is on certain things. And, and oftentimes what you think they might not uh, know or understand about what's going on in this world, and when, they, when you see them put it in a story, then you're well aware that they're absolutely aware of what's going on in this world and, uh, and sometimes having, have an understanding of it. So that's what we did last summer. I think the summer before that we had um, each of them were writing a continuous story. So what I did is I, I, um, I put up on the, their wall in their room um, a photo, a picture, a collage of just different objects. Uh, I think Simon had a farmhouse with rolling hills. Uh, Hillary had some sort of moonscape. And so they then had to start a story using only the picture and come up with a concept wow. about what cool. it was. And so the first, mm-hmm. you know, it would, inevitably the story always started with the farm or the moonscape but then transformed into something absolutely totally different and it was something that they I wanted them to write every day in and it was it would continue the story through the whole summer so now at the end of the summer you know Hillary has a, a complete short story 
about, um, you know, this whole family that went to a different part of the universe and came back and mm-hmm. their losses and their good times and their bad times. And it's rather complete. And those are the type of things that I, I want them to do so that they can keep moving forward in their mind and they, their minds are always working. You know, this last summer, Simon and I had an art, had an art summer and every week we would be working on some different type of art, um, art concepts, different type of medium, whether it be charcoal or watercolor or pastels. And so we would, um, when it was one time it was a mosaic and it was just coming up with different ways to do things. They would teach him how to do the art, but then allow him to be able to use his mind to create absolutely whatever he wanted. And there's no mm-hmm. wrong answer. It's whatever you create mm-hmm. is right. And that's perfect. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's And that's why this show is so important because people that are listening now, whether they're parents or even grandparents, can take some of these techniques and implement them in their own families. And I know that you don't do this by yourself. What kind of a role does um, Yesenia play in teaching these these values to your kids? She, you know, she, and absolutely, it's, I would say, the most important role in that is, um, you know, she's, she's the mother. She's there mm-hmm. to comfort them and be there for them. Um, but I would have to say, um, you know, I, I am the, I'm the uh, artist, the outside of the box thinker, the, yeah, those are the rules that, you know, I could probably get away with not following them exactly the way they are. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's just how my mind, mind moves. And, and Yessie is very much like, uh, these are the rules, you follow them exactly the way mm-hmm. the rules are. They're the rules because they're the rules. Um, and so I think together we really paint a complete picture as to how you're supposed to uh, transverse this really hectic world that both of our children are about to try to, 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 to get through. And I think that is that you have to be able to be creative enough creative enough to be able to think outside of the box to get through certain situations. But you mm-hmm. there's times where you need to follow the rules because those are the rules and you have to follow them exactly the way they are told. And so we together parent them in, in our exact wheelhouse is where we need to be. And I think what's great about our relationship from a parenting standpoint is that um, we allow each other to parent in our wheelhouses and, and be able to do what we excel in, and, and uh, it's working perfectly. That's real interesting, Russ, that you say that because I'm looking back at my own parenting skills, obviously, well, not obviously to those that don't know, but you and my daughter are three days apart in age, and um, and then I have a son that's um, three years older, and we sort of did that as parents ourselves. My role as a parent had one way of me being, and my husband's role as a parent was was much different. I, I, I was the mouthpiece. He was the rock. And right. um, we had certain expectations, but we didn't always deliver them in the same concept. But, but children learn by witnessing what they see, which is what, what I, one of the many things that I admire about you because you really do see things deep. You're not just 
um, there's not a lot of distractions. Like I, when I went to your house that first time and I said, it's so quiet here, and, and you chuckled because you said, gosh, my mom, who doesn't live here, she lives on the East Coast, hi, Carol, she's going to be my guest next month. She said the same thing. She said, your house is quiet. You have a peaceful existence around you and and I know that you have some specific rules you know how much time can you play on your computer games and what you are or aren't going to watch on television there it's not like you're just free to do whatever you want there are definite right. expectations in your home Absolutely. and I and I admire you for that um, as as we're moving into this next part of the show I think what's really um, important for people to know that maybe missed our first couple of shows about Share Hope, I think your story about what Simon said to you and that experience when he was just an eight-year-old little boy, and I can't underestimate how important that is, the fact that he was only eight. Can you, can you share that story about what he said to you and what happened on that particular day? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think first I like to probably preference it by saying that you know some of the 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 core values we try to we've tried to instill into our children, uh, both mm-hmm. my wife and I, for since they were very young, is to be kind, compassion, and accepting of others. And so we um, under that basis um, that it, it wasn't surprising that uh, when we were we were traveling down the freeway. We we're actually on our way home, actually from school, and uh, we were exiting the freeway. And Simon and I saw there was a homeless uh, woman that was holding the sign, saying that she was hungry, off to the left. So Simon reached into his pocket and pulled out uh, a few dollars that he had, and he asked if he could give it to her, uh, which was absolutely fine with me. Unfortunately, we had already passed the the her location, and we weren't able to stop to give it to her but it what it did is it started asking he started asking questions because we've always taught our children that uh, you have to ask important questions don't be don't don't accept the status quo ask a question as to why it's like that and then then if we can make it better let's try to make it better so he asked the question why why was she standing there why would she be hungry where does she live um, and you know as an eight-year-old he's you know, eight-year-olds generally are very, very ask a lot of questions, anyways, as to why the world sure. works the way it does, and so that started a process of of uh, of us him saying, you know, he, he said, I I want to I want to give her um, I want to feed her, and I said, great, well, let me turn around and let me uh, let's go back, we'll go give her the money. He goes, no, Dad, you don't understand. Um, I want to feed them all. And, mm-hmm. and I said, okay. So I, I had to pause for a moment <laughs> to be able to contemplate that, that, that the, the, the gravity of that statement, I want to feed them all. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, this came after I tried to explain to an eight-year-old the very complex issue of homelessness. So I tried to, you know, bring it down to a level where he would understand it. And I think even at 11 years old, doing all the stuff that he's done for the homeless, he probably still doesn't have uh, a full understanding of what homelessness is. And part of me thinks he probably shouldn't at this point. He's 11 years old. Um, but mm-hmm. 
I think he's having a better understanding, but that started us down a, a, a path four years ago, almost four years ago, um, that we didn't know we were going to go down. Um, but uh, I, I, I understood there was a passion there that he had um, that I don't think he even knew he had at the time, but uh, mm-hmm. it hasn't died. And so that, that my job as a parent is to feed the passion, you know? I do. And I love it when you say um, um, your ch- they are the engine and you are the wheels. I think that is such a, a great yeah. way of understanding your partnership and, and working together as a family and starting your organization of Share Hope USA because it is a nonprofit and granted he he can't do your marketing he you know he's he's we he was 8 years old initially so somebody had to do that kind of media work and and getting the word out yeah. and helping this story be told but the vision and the um compassion it really started with him didn't it yeah well Absolutely. I mean, um, he uh, he had he, he expressed to us what he wanted to do, and so under the you know he, he's he's the engine and I'm the wheel concept uh, that that we as parents uh, adopt. Um, it's our job. It's that our purpose at that point is to try to get our children where they want to go to feed the passion. I mean, if you don't have passion in life, then what's the point? So, right. uh, you know, I try to, if, if, you know, my daughter's passion is animals. So yes. we, uh, we uh, immediately found a shelter for her to start volunteering at once, um, once she became old enough to be able to do so. You know, now she wants mm-hmm. to see she can intern, do some internship. Uh, into some veterinarian clinics, so I'm I'm searching for that. Uh, Simon wanted to feed homeless, so we started down a path of learning how how to do that. Uh, and it was a big educational process. How you know? It, I don't think we said, okay, let's start a nonprofit. We just said, okay, let's feed some homeless people. And um, so we started finding out uh, how people were doing it. How were they feeding mm-hmm. homeless? And so we started really visiting a bunch of different groups throughout the LA area that were feeding the homeless. And we, we met, we still to this day have contacts with some absolutely amazing people uh, that do some amazing work. And we, we visited some groups that we really didn't uh, like how they did it. Um, But what Mm -hmm. we did is we taught ourselves what we liked and what we didn't like. And so then we were be able to, then at that point we were able to, create the blueprint of what now is share hope USA's concept and what we do. Um, and, um, it's always been to feed the homeless and, uh, to try to share hope with them and give them, um, what they want. And we, we do other things like we groom their pets and we try to bring barbers out to cut hair and do things like that. But we keep it really, really simple, Marsha, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, on purpose, uh, you know, Simon's 11 years old. He still has to go to school. He still has homework. He has responsibilities. Um, he still has to be a kid. Uh, right. It, it's really important for, for us to not to, – we don't want to take his childhood away uh, because now there's this organization built. So we, we purposely do events. We, do, we spread the events out 
so that way he can attend all the events um, and it doesn't take away from him just being a kid. I mean, he's, he just signed mm-hmm. up for baseball and he wants to play baseball. He needs to be able to do that. That's part of being a child. And so mm-hmm. uh, we don't want the fact that he w- wants to, his passion is to help others to then take away from his childhood. So we keep it small on purpose and uh, we're really we try to design events around him being able to attend without it taking away from something else. That's great. I do remember the first time, the very first time we met, I, I can still picture where we sat at Starbucks outside and yeah. Simon was doodling. Simon is a doodler. Simon, give Simon a piece of paper and a pen. I don't care if we were at CPK, if we we're at my house, if you're at your house now. You know, it's it, it, because you're right. Because or, or oh my God, or how he likes to tell jokes, or how he likes yeah. to do riddles, or how he likes how he taught himself to do magic. Oh my God, yeah. He's he's quite, but he's so unassuming, and I think yeah. that um, that that's in part to the installation of being parents that you, and yes, you have been. I mean, that that doesn't happen by accident either. Um, why don't you just, I, I think that you, you have a wonderful slogan. It's on all your business cards, and um, I think that it it's very significant. Would you like me to read it, or would you like to say it? Are you talking about uh, our Share Hope's mission statement? Is that the reason for that one? Yeah, the reason for being homeless is irrelevant. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would call our mission statement. Okay, so, what so go ahead and is, say what that their, is. Their, their reason for being homeless is irrelevant. Their need for compassion isn't. Right. And, you know, it's, it's worth repeating, and I'm going to just repeat it. The reason for being homeless is irrelevant. Their need for our compassion isn't. And because I met you and because I've brought in my friends that have joined me to be with you, like my friend Leah McKinney uh, Buckley that I've known since the seventh grade. Now her daughter Elizabeth also joins us. Adrian also from a high school friend, Marie McNeely. Some of these folks have joined us because, frankly, where we first started, was in the neighborhood that I grew up in. It was very personal to me to see this encampment of, I think probably initially when I first started with you guys, there were probably 500 people. Some lived in cars, go to work. Yes, some in motorhomes, some in tents. And what I learned was know the names these are human beings. They were given a name. Take the time to learn Dana's name. Take the time to learn dog's name and everyone else that you maybe come across. And to sit in on my curb in front of what was my house with Simon, realizing we had just walked up and down the streets because some people were way too fearful to leave their belongings, to come to a feeding event where we were passing out hot food. We then brought that food to them. It was life-changing for me. And I found myself being very comfortable 
seeing a homeless person with the sign. And maybe every single time I didn't hand them a pair of socks, which is so what they love, or a couple sure. of bottles of water, but to just say, what's your name? I'm yeah. Hazel. Hi, Hazel. Are you cold? She said, I am. I said, you know something? I've got some jackets back at my house. I, I, I'm gonna. I, I'm going into CVS right now. When I go home, I'm going to bring you back some jackets that, that you can use. I don't think I would have ever done that, Russ, had I not been connected to Share Hope. So it's it's opened up my mind so, so much. And I think it's also important that um, Simon doesn't only um, bring um, help and kindness and being kind and being good and being you. He also has this other element about helping sick children. And I think yeah. that it would be really great for you to share that story as well about what he's doing with Children's Hospital. Yeah, so uh, it was almost four years ago. He's eight years old. And we had already established, I think we probably had already done a couple events to, to feed homeless. And uh, we were going strong with that. And Simon turned to me and he said, you know, Dad, I, I like helping the homeless, uh, but how about all the kids in the hospital that are sick? How can, how can we help them? And so I said, we started discussing different ways we could help them. And we came up with the idea that we were going to put together uh, gift bags for the sick kids with, like, coloring books and some colors or maybe some toys action figures, something like that. We were going to put that together. So uh, once we came up with that concept, I gave the Children's Hospital of L.A. a phone call, and I said, look, I have this 8-year-old kid, and this is what we're doing, and he really, really wants to help your patients, and this is what we were thinking of doing. And they said, well, you know, we really, that's amazing, and we really appreciate it. You know what we really need? We really need Play-Doh. Um, and so after a pause, because I was complex as to why would you need Play-Doh, they explained to me that uh, they disinfect all their toys after a patient uses them, and they reuse toys. That way they can get the maximum use out of one toy. So they t- once, mm-hmm. the ki- once the patient is done with it, they take it back, they disinfect it, they put it back into the toy room, and then they take it back out when it's time to use again. But Play-Doh is the only material that toy that they have that they cannot disinfect because as you know what Play-Doh is, it's a clay, clay-like substance and they, they smash it within their hands and, um, mm-hmm. they, and so there's no way to disinfect Play-Doh. You can't do it. So, what they, so once a patient has Play-Doh, it's pretty much theirs forever. And so because of that, the, the inability to be able to reuse it, they run out of Play-Doh really, really often. Um, and in, in turn of just using it for toys, they also use it for therapy and for helping, uh, you know, if a patient has a brain injury, they'll be able to, be able to have them create certain things with the Play-Doh to be able to help, uh, you know, motivate certain parts of their brain that, that needs to be motivated. So there's a lot of uses for it. So Play-Doh. So I went back to Simon and I said, they want Play-Doh. And so we decided that we were going to start a Play-Doh drive and that was, like I said, almost four years ago, three years ago in some months. Um, and the first year, Simon got uh, started this competition in his school. This was elementary school. Started a competition within his school for every class to be in compete, 
to compete against its the other classes on who could collect the most Play-Doh for Sharehope USA and the Children's Hospital. Um, and I think he collected about 5,800 containers of Play-Doh, 5,800 at that time. So um, mm-hmm. that was our base, and that was the start. So at year two, we collected 11,800. And then this year, which was the, the third year of the Play-Doh drive, he collected over 15,000 containers. And, and it really grew, didn't it, Russ, because he was a third grader. By the time yeah. he was in the fourth grade, it started moving not just in his classroom grade, but in the whole school. And then by last year, you were really involving the district, the after-school yeah. playground. I mean, you really involved a lot yeah. of people, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, so I think people, after, I think year two, year two, we we moved from just his school to the district wide to um, mm-hmm. we were uh, their after school program was was helping out and so we started the after school program so now you can think you know year two he's in now fourth grade he now he's being asked to speak in front of all the different schools in the district to be able to talk to the other kids about you know what's going on with this Plato drive and what's the deal with it and and explain why it's important and then in year three, which was last year, we then expanded into uh, the amazing group called um, After Star After School All Stars, which is an amazing after school program that's in. Um, uh, it's actually a national nonprofit. They're, they do after school programs throughout the whole country, but um, in this particular local area, uh, they're in. I, I believe it's about 60 to 70 schools uh, throughout mm-hmm. the LA uh, LAUSD. And so last year we had we spoke in about 26 to 28 different schools about the Plato Drive, um, you know, all to try to to promote this this Plato Drive. And then next year we're hoping to expand into more schools. Uh, I think yeah. it's an amazing it's an amazing teaching method for schools to be able to teach their children the importance of being kind, compassion, and giving to others that. Are in not they're in less fortunate of situations, and it, it's a huge teaching me- method. So I hope I hope it expands more. I, I sure it will, and it was really interesting when I and I mean the way he has built his own co- personal confidence in speaking is quite remarkable. And I remember one of those children, because I, I went to when he spoke, and and somebody said, well, why can't we just give them toys and he was able to articulate that and explain that well that that was a very good question for a, 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 a fourth grader to ask because why would they know unless they ask and so exactly. I think it's really really tremendous and you know anybody can donate and I think that I think it's really important for people to know that you do have a really terrific website um, share hope USA Right. Do you want to tell people how they can find how they can find you? Yeah, there's many different ways to find us. Uh, we have uh, you can go to uh, www.sharehopeusa.com, and uh, that's one of the best ways to 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 see what we're doing to kind of get updated on upcoming events. And then um, we have also our social media platforms, so you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter and. On uh, our Facebook page is probably the most 
uh, well-known in this aspect of being able to mm-hmm. find out what events we have coming up. And you can actually have interaction with us and communicate with us about um, maybe you have uh, a, a refrigerator that you want to donate. And maybe because we have connections to other organizations, if, if we don't have somebody that can use it, I can put it out to other organizations and there's somebody that would use that refrigerator, those type of things. So there's, there's a lot of ways to get a hold of us and we encourage everybody to do so. And, you know, I, I think it would be great. Why don't we talk just a little bit about yesterday? Because yesterday was really special, and I, I, I want to acknowledge um, your sponsors, and I want to also acknowledge Dottie and, and Libby, your, your groomers. And, and, and you have a YouTube channel, too. And I sure. think that, that there are so many different ways um, because Russ, you are so talented. You you are forever capturing these moments that are visual, so that when somebody isn't watching and isn't physically there, but we're walking like we were yesterday, and you put it to some beautiful music, you really get to the core of some of the things that we do. Because it there's something for us too. I, I just think that that's, I don't give Share Hope USA so that I can receive something. It happens because when you give so willingly, you are, you, you have that, that joy of knowing that maybe you helped somebody just for that short time. So talk about your sponsors and talk a little bit about what, what our day was like yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess, first of all, I got to tell you the, the, the connections that we've made as an organization to individuals like um, yourself and, and Leah, which are two of my favorite humans on this earth. And, uh, you know, you, we make connections with like Cynthia and Dottie who they take time out of their busy schedules to come on a Sunday morning uh, and set up a dog grooming uh, central in the middle of, a homeless camp under a freeway overpass to start grooming, you know, 12 to 13 dogs, uh, cutting their nails and cleaning their ears and uh, giving them, showing them a little bit of pampering. I think, um, I think it's absolutely amazing. You know, uh, we have a lot of help. It's not, it's, it's, we, we, we're the, Simon's the brainchild and we've, Try, try to bring everyone together, and, but everyone together does it. It's not something that we just do on our own. And we have, right. you know, uh, for example, Corner Burger, which is here in, in the Lawndale area. They Every month they donate food for us to hot, hot food, hot hamburgers and fries to bring out to uh, the homeless encampments that we service. And uh, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, I think yesterday we went to – we were literally under an overpass between an on-ramp and the freeway, and we right. were grooming, uh, groomed 12 dogs, uh, six of them puppies. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we, we fed, uh, I think it was probably around 12 homeless that live in that particular area. Uh, yes. But I got to tell you, more, the most important thing of, of yesterday and every event that we go to is the connection that we make with, the homeless people. Uh, we know them by yes. their names. They know us by our names. We bring them. It, it, it's yes, it's important to bring them the food. Uh, you know, the burrito project makes uh, get makes us 
over 100 burritos every month that we bring out to them. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. That The mm-hmm. burrito is important. The water is really, really important. But what's more important than that is the, the giving of the burrito and the water to the homeless person opens up the door of communication. So then at that point, we're able to talk with them and not talk to them as if, yeah, you're homeless and I'm not, but talk to them because you're human and so am I and have that right. type, that level of communication with them. I, I strongly believe we leave them with them feeling that they had a really good day because they had a conversation not about homelessness, but just about, you know, the things that they love and the things that they care about. And we're able to mm-hmm. express what we care about. And it's the conversation that you would have over coffee or a drink with one of a really, really good friend, but we had it under an overpass with somebody that we didn't even know. And that, that, that communication, that touching, what that does is it expresses humanity, humanity. And it changes that person from being the homeless person to being the human person. Um, and okay. I think that it does, if, if there's anything that's going to help them say, I choose now to start my path to housing, to getting off the streets, that's it. That's what's going to do it. It's going to be that type of relationship. And sometimes these conversations are so meaningful, like the one I had with Kim yesterday when I handed her something that belonged in my home, and now it was going to belong with her. She said, I will always treasure this. Well, I've got to tell you, I'm going to always treasure her comments because that blanket had a story, and now that story lives on through her, from me to her. You can't even put a price on an experience like that. And I would say to any of you that are listening out there today, regardless of where you live, yes, we have a very large homeless population in the city of Los Angeles because our weather allows for it. You know, we don't have freezing frigid temperature. But if it's 60 degrees outside and you're only in a tent that's that's, um, nylon, that blanket feels good. And if you're just speaking about how are you today, and you don't really, how are you today, as opposed to, no, really, how are you today? Didn't I see you last time I was here? How are things going for you? Can I get you some fruit? Uh, It is, I would just encourage that rather than feel afraid of homelessness, if you are inspired by what Russ is saying today, and what he saw through the eyes of his son, perhaps where you're living, you might want to consider this. Or, listen, you will never turn down a donation. Water no, is water. We, From anywhere. We need yeah. the, exactly. We need the water. We need to buy socks or to donate socks. We need things hygiene that kits, will yeah. – that hygiene kits. Every time you go to a hotel – and I know that this may or not be acceptable in some people's lifestyles, but and there's that shampoo and that soap and that conditioner and whatever, and you've brought your own and you just leave it there, put it in a Ziploc bag and bring it home. And sure. get it to someone that can use that as a hygiene kit. When, that, when we gave that one man yesterday, Mike was his name, a hygiene mm-hmm. kit, he, it was like we gave him the greatest gift of all. It's like, oh, my God, yeah. soap. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. it really, it is, it is such a joy for me personally 
to know you, to know your family, to know that I can call on you, whether it's business like like Share Hope, whether it's personal, whether it says, come on, Marsha, we're going to go get pizza now and please join us, whatever that may be, the connection that you have put me in touch with your mother, who's probably going to be my new best friend who lives in Florida, <laughs> can hardly wait to do my show with her next month. She is really an interesting woman, and she is playing a part in my personal life. So I just, I'm just so grateful for you, Russ, and I'm and I'm so appreciative of who you are, what you represent, and what you, who you are as a dad. I just, I just can't thank you enough for being a part of my family and allowing me to be a part of yours. Well, actually, the pleasure is actually all mine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and, and, it, and also, you know, if, if anybody wants to see the photo of the young homeless woman that you gave the blanket to, they can go to our mm-hmm. YouTube channel and they can see it there because uh, she uh, was so appreciative of that blanket. Oh, that was really emotional. Do you remember the day that I gave that gentleman we were in um, on the Riverwalk in Anaheim? I have some of Butch's old shirts, and he yes. took the shirt, and then you what he said. and then he told us, "Oh my God!" He said, "Well, I have a job interview tomorrow," and I said, "You yep. are wearing a shirt that belonged to my husband. This makes me so happy. I hope it brings yep. you success because my husband was a wonderful man. I'm never going to forget that, and that's what happens when you give so willingly. And we have Simon." to thank and you to thank for sharing that with us, Russ, because as you can tell, that really chokes me up. It means a great deal. And and I thank you. So um, I'm going to pull it together and I'm going to <laughs> thank you for your, thank you for your time and for the love that you and I share of one another. And I would encourage all of you to visit these pages, go to his YouTube Think about how you could support this wonderful organization or perhaps start one in your own community. And next week, it's a whole new show. It's, it's a lady that I stalked. It's a lady I stalked in Costco. I'm, I'm sorry, but sometimes you just do. I kind of do weird things sometimes. And this lady just had the most cool um, a sign on the side of her car. And I thought, i got to know this lady. So I followed her into Costco. We didn't even get into Costco. I said, I think I need to know you. And there comes my business card. And so she, Ina Buckner Barnett, she will be my guest next week because the beat goes on. So I dried my tears. I'm filled with joy. I want to thank you again, Russ, for your time today and sharing your story with our listeners. And I look forward to having you all join me again next week. So thanks a bunch, Russ, for being with me today. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, let's listen to my cool music now. It's taking us out. Here we go. (laughs) 